Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Just to let you know, Australia on this day will be taking a short break. If you've enjoyed the show so far, I'd love it if you could leave a review or rating at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope you enjoyed today's episode about Arthur Stace, aka Mr. Eternity, as much as I enjoyed making it. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next week. Welcome to Australia on this day. My name's Michael Adams, and today we're going back to Wednesday the 6th of August, 1930. That was the day that a hopeless, middle-aged, Sydney alcoholic vagrant found God and set himself on the path to becoming Mr. Eternity. Arthur Stace had it tough from the moment he was born in Redfern on the 9th of February, 1885. His parents were terrible boozers, mired in poverty, at each other's throats and neglectful of their clutch of urchin offspring who often had to steal just so they wouldn't go hungry. Arthur went into state care at the age of seven and was then fostered to a family in Goulburn. At the age of 15, in early 1900, he came back to Sydney. That was right when the city was fighting bubonic plague. It's unknown what Arthur did at this time, though he'd later say he'd been a Balmain boy, so it is possible he earned money as one of the 3,000 men and boys put on to sanitise the city's eastern harbour areas. What we do know is that Arthur, in October 1900, went to work in the Mount Kembla coal mine. He left that for another job at a nearby colliery in May 1902. If he'd stayed on, Sydney might have been a very different place. That's because a few months after Arthur left, an explosion at Mount Kembla killed 96 of his former workmates. This accident was, as we heard in the 31st of July episode, Australia's worst industrial disaster. Arthur Stace might have avoided that disaster, but he was making himself into a one-man disaster zone. He developed a taste for alcohol when he was still a child, and though only a teen, he was now a heavy drinker. Moving back to Sydney, he worked for the city council from 1905 to 1908, when he lost the job on account of his alcoholism. From then, he eked out a living on the fringes of Sydney's underworld, working in his sister's brothel and as a lookout for illegal two-up games. When the Great War began in 1914, Arthur, who stood just 5'3", was too short to enlist. But in 1916, with mass slaughter of our men on the Western Front, new recruits were desperately needed and when requirements were relaxed, Arthur Stace enlisted. The next year, he saw action as a stretcher-bearer before being gassed and suffering bronchitis and pleurisy, which led to him being hospitalised and saved from further battlefield service. Like many soldiers, Arthur was discharged with a small pension as an invalid and returned to Sydney at the peak of the Spanish flu. He survived that plague, but the 1920s offered him nothing more than poverty, alcoholism and run-ins with the police. Then things got even bleaker when Australia was plunged into the Great Depression. 
So it was, after 45 years of abuse, poverty, alcoholism, plague, war, illness and economic catastrophe that Arthur Stace on the 6th of August 1930 went to St Barnabas Church on Broadway. He wasn't really there for Reverend RBS Hammond's sermon during the men's meeting. Arthur and a small army of other homeless, jobless and hopeless men went to the church because it was out of the cold and when the Holy Roller was done with his preaching, they'd be given tea and rock cakes. But Arthur Stace's heart and soul were touched by what Reverend Hammond had to say about God, sin, redemption, forgiveness and, of course, eternity. After the service, Arthur went to nearby Victoria Park where, beneath the tree, he prayed to God for salvation. Arthur said from that moment on, he never touched another drop of alcohol. Newly sober and born again, Arthur made himself useful at the church. Two years later, on the 14th of November 1932, he went to a service by evangelist John G. Ridley, whose sermon was called The Echoes of Eternity. And the eternity message certainly echoed again for Arthur. Stepping from the church, he found he had a piece of chalk in his pocket. The spirit moved him, and as he'd tell it, quote, Eternity went ringing through my brain, and suddenly I began crying and felt a powerful call from the Lord to write eternity. Bending down, he wrote and quote, The word eternity came out smoothly in a beautiful copper plate script. I couldn't understand it, and I still can't. Despite the common misconception that Arthur was illiterate, he actually could write. This was revealed by historian and writer Pauline Connolly in a 2009 Sydney Morning Herald article about Arthur. Researching her piece, Pauline found two letters in his National Archives of Australia military file that he'd written to the army in 1927 and 1935. You certainly don't need to be a graphologist to immediately see that these letters are written in that distinctive and elegant copper plate that would become so familiar to Sydney siders. Arthur Stace would say that he'd begun his mission to write Eternity right there outside that church in November 1932, and he never stopped. The excellent and incredibly well-researched 2017 book, Mr. Eternity, by Roy Williams and Elizabeth Myers, from which I've learned much about Arthur Stace, offers compelling evidence that this is true. The authors found a man who read the one-word message in 1937 or 1938 and was then moved to convert to Christianity. Even so, it had appeared that Arthur Stace's work gathered pace in the mid to late 1940s, by which time he'd married his late-in-life soulmate Pearl, made a home with her in Piermont, and begun a career as a street preacher in addition to working for the church. Arthur really treated writing eternity as work, in the sense of it being a job with regular hours. He'd rise around 4am, have breakfast, dress himself neatly in a suit with polished shoes and leave home about 5 to walk or catch a train or tram to whatever part of the city or suburbs he felt called by God to visit. Then he'd spend a few hours chalking or crayoning footpaths and walls before going on with his day's paid employment. For commuters coming into the city, eternity was a message that seemed to magically appear where it hadn't been when they'd passed by the previous evening. What did it mean? That was up to you. Who was doing it? Nobody knew, at least nobody outside Arthur's wife and the inner circle of his church. Eternity had been appearing all over the city for years, but it wasn't until after World War II that the newspapers took notice and then had a lot of fun with it. In March 1947, Smith's Weekly's columnist, Sydney Says, had this to say about Sydney. Sydney has a mystery. 
In numerous suburbs, as well as in the city, the word eternity will suddenly appear chalked on the footpath. It is always in the same handwriting, neat and somewhat elaborate, with a scroll to underline it. There are two guesses. It might be a religious person wishing to remind his fellows of the long period ahead, or it might be Mr Chifley creeping through the night and surreptitiously informing how long he intends income tax to remain at a high level. Nine months later, the same Smith's Weekly columnist reported with great delight that the footpath messenger had been chalking eternity outside the gates of big houses in Vaucluse. Quote, I sighted a testy-looking old gentleman studying the word outside his mansion. It seemed to irritate him. He tried to rub it out with his foot and then his handkerchief. Red in face, he retired inside. A gardener with a scrubbing brush appeared. That did the trick. Next morning, I strolled past the spot. The mystery writer had been back and written eternity. Some have cause to fear it. Then, in December 1948, much about the mystery man was made public. Sunday Telegraph journalist Pat Davidson had the scoop. He'd come across the man chalking the word late at night on New South Head Road in Double Bay and got talking to him. The reporter walked the streets with this man for a considerable time. He said his name was The World. The World told the reporter that he'd previously written Eternity all in printed capitals, but had thought that Copperplate would be easier on the eye, and it also fit with what the Bible instructed, that is, it is written. Fair enough, the Bible didn't say it is printed. The World explained to the journalist that he'd practiced on the walls and tiles of his home to develop his Copperplate style and get his speed up. He claimed that he had an ordinary job as a clerk and an ordinary home and an ordinary name. Quote, But when I go out preaching with a lump of chalk, spreading the message to the world, I am just the world, one who has undertaken to bear the sins and sorrows of everyone. Naturally, Pat Davidson asked the world about the word, and the chalker said this of eternity, quote, It is a method of preaching. I know that most people pass by my sermons unseeing and uncaring. Oh, they are blind, blind and willful in their determination to court destruction everlasting. But every day, there's at least one heart who sees and who thinks, Ah, eternity. Here I am wasting the precious hours while I am rushing on to eternity. Brother, that person is on the road to salvation. My simple word has struck a soul chord. The world claimed he worked four nights a week, writing eternity about 200 times each night, which meant he chalked up 41,600 messages every year. During their walk together from Double Bay to King's Cross, Pat Davidson said that the world stopped, stooped and chalked eternity every 100 yards or so. What then did this mystery figure look like? The reporter described him as having, quote, large, slightly protruding eyes and that fit Arthur Stace, yet nothing else in the description did. The world was reported to be tall, where Arthur was short, and about 40 years old, at a time when Arthur was approaching 65. Who was the world? I have to confess, I don't know. If this was a hoax, it had seemed kind of pointless, because he didn't take credit in the sense of revealing his actual identity. Then there was this curious detail. The world said that two nights a week he attended religious instruction and there compared notes with other chalkers. Was the world someone from Arthur's inner circle who was following his example? 
We'll get the answer to that question from Arthur himself at the end of this episode. General accounts of Arthur Stace could lead you to think he was never seen at work. Yet, that's not true. Sydney was smaller then, but it didn't shut down at night. An April 1949 Sunday Telegraph article headlined Sydney After Midnight, A City of Moods and Images, chronicled the doings of colourful night owls, and it included an illustration of a man in a suit and hat bent over to write eternity on the footpath. The article included this. Central Station, a dreary, windswept place, has its spurts of activity as the country trains arrive and depart, and though few of them are visible at any time, hundreds of people work there at night. We can see the man who devotes one or two of his leisure hours at night riding eternity in a bold hand with chalk on city and suburban footpaths. Lately, he has become conscious of the possible ambiguity of his message and now sometimes adds, in small letters, to face... Changing it to Eternity to Face was an example of Arthur trying out new material. Sometimes he also wrote the simple God and Obey God, but these didn't have the elegance, mystery and impact of Eternity. So, as we'd say today, he mostly stayed on message. Smith's Weekly remained very amused. In May 1949, Sydney says ran another item, quote, that tireless gentleman who scrawls the terrifying word eternity on our footpaths now shows himself to be something of a humorist. His latest effort is to write the slogan all over the walls of the lottery office, a warning against wishful thinking. Meanwhile, a Daily Telegraph letter writer in October 1951 who signed his or her missive, Tired Feet, said, quote, Someone is writing the word eternity on footpaths. I'll bet the culprit lives in the western suburbs where one has to wait that long for public transport. In November 1953, the Sun-Herald ran an interview with a Mossman artist named Mrs G.R. Scott in which she claimed to have met a man and woman on the Sydney Harbour Bridge and spoken to them as the man bent down to chalk eternity on the footpath. And there it was in the paper, reproduced in a photo, this man's version of the word except the handwriting wasn't nearly as good as Sydney siders were accustomed to. Three weeks later, in the Sunday Telegraph, journalist Pat Davidson was back, refuting the story, and ran an interview with the real man behind Eternity. Of course, that was her old mate, The World. It's kind of ironic that the headline read, A Forger Copies Eternity. The World expressed furious anger, not least because the Sydney Harbour Bridge version was so sloppy-looking. Quote, I tried to keep calm in all the vicissitudes of life, brother, but I was shocked into terrible anger by what I read and saw in the newspaper. Put into modern terms, he was concerned that the forger had cheapened the brand. The world claimed that he'd been tirelessly writing eternity these past five years, and he wasn't going to stand for some, quote, atheistic usurper who's trying to undermine the glory of salvation. Then he turned critic. Quote, There's no art in the writing, no joyful pleasure in the anticipation of divine mercy. The word looks as though it were written by an uncouth man who dipped his fist in whitewash. It is most obviously that he is either a mocker, scoffer, destroyer, or the sort of person who'll do anything for publicity. And as for the man writing eternity on the bridge while in the company of a woman, the world was absolutely ropeable. Quote, we great humble preachers of the word invariably eschew the company of women. 
my observation of life has taught me that a lover of women and a lover of the word are never combined in one person. So, if this atheist on the bridge goes around with a woman, shall I say companion, I can only describe him as a whited sepulchre and a typical product of a generation of vipers. I'm no religious scholar, but I think the world had just committed the deadly sins of pride and wrath with his tirade. Around this time, another of Arthur's friends, Reverend Lael Thompson, inadvertently came across Arthur chalking away. He asked, are you Mr. Eternity? Arthur laughed and said, guilty, Your Honour. Reverend Thompson thought that the world should hear Arthur's story, and he convinced him to let him tell it in a 1955 pamphlet called The Crooked Made Straight. Because Sydney newspaper reporters didn't spend a lot of time browsing Christian literature for leads, the identity of Mr. Eternity remained a mystery for another year. That was until Reverend Thompson convinced Arthur to go public. The Reverend sent a copy of The Crooked Made Straight to the Daily Telegraph, and on the 23rd of June 1956, Arthur gave an interview that was the basis for a full-page story the next day, complete with a photo of him at work and another photo of him with Pearl. The headline read, The man that Sydney's wondered about. Every dawn, he chalks a pavement challenge. The piece began, For 25 years, puzzled Sydney people have stared at a one-word sermon, Eternity, chalked in yellow on footpaths and walls. Since 1930, the writer with the yellow crayon has kept his identity secret, except from a few close friends. After this, Arthur Stace was famous. Yet, he didn't slacken off, even though he could, now his celebrity meant he could command an audience with his sermons. On the contrary, even though he was into his 70s, Arthur stepped up the pace. He'd even retired from work in 1955, specifically so he could devote more time to the job he felt that God had called him to do. Once his name was known, Arthur Stace made regular appearances in the Sydney newspapers. His most famous one came in 1963 when Sydney Morning Herald photographer Trevor Dallin took the most famous image of big-eyed Arthur in his dark suit, crouched with his chalk, having just finished what may have been his half-millionth eternity, give or take 10,000. After Pearl passed away in 1961, Arthur stayed in the Piermont house and kept on writing. In 1965, he went into a nursing home, but he was still in good form and made regular trips outside to write Eternity until, on the 30th of July 1967, at the age of 82, Arthur Stace slipped away into Eternity. Arthur's passing was front-page news and his legend seemed assured. Gradually, though, Arthur Stace and his work faded from the wider cultural memory. That was until 1990, when Remo Giuffray, founder of the Remo General Store in Sydney and an Arthur Stace fan, commissioned the artist Martin Sharp, who'd also long been fascinated with Mr Eternity, to create huge Eternity artworks. From that moment onwards came more research into and remembrance and celebration of Arthur Stace, including numerous articles, a play, an opera, a song and a documentary film. Of course, the biggest and most visible celebration was the word Eternity spelled out on the Sydney Harbour Bridge on New Year's Eve 1999 and again during the Sydney Olympics. Arthur Stace's humble, chalk-written sermon now reaching billions around the world. 
If you want to know more about Arthur Stace, do get yourself a copy of the book Mr. Eternity by Roy Williams and Elizabeth Myers because there is a lot more to the story. I think the final word should go to the man who, while famous for one word, also had plenty to say when he was interviewed on 2GB in 1964. Catching next week. Monitor Jim Wall found Mr. Arthur Stace, who writes Eternity, and asked him why. I do the help others because I believe that they are in this world for two things, a help or a hindrance. I know by helping other people to know that there's an eternity to face, to be living for it is a lovely thing to know. And you think the single word message, Eternity, um, has done good in the past? Yes, I can prove to you in many cases. Many cases where men have been turned from darkness into God's marvelous light. One of them done 17 years jail and was turned and went back with his wife has now got a shot. And I could go to many others, but it would sound like both, but I won't tell you about the others, for fear you might think that I'm overdoing it or exaggerating. Mr. Faith, how long ago did you start doing this? About 20 years ago. And what started you off? I was listening to a man one day in Burton Street Baptist Church, a man called John Ridley, the Australian evangelist. And he was preaching on eternity. And he said these words, eternity, eternity, where, oh, where would you spend eternity? And he said, the Lord laid it on my heart, daring him to go out and write eternity. I went straight out, I've been writing for 20 years. Were you a good man at the time before you were converted? No, I was a very bad man. I was very much under conviction and many convictions uh, for drunkenness, for thieving, and for many other things that I can't mention just here. Mr. Stace, um, how far afield have you gone in writing Eternity on Footpath? Well, I would say from here to Wellington that way, to Cessnock, to Newcastle, to all the suburbs, pretty well around most of the places in New South Wales, and right around Melbourne. When do you do it? When do you find time to write this? I get up early in the morning. I have a, one hour with the Lord between four and five, and I have a cup of tea, and off I go on this particular work, writing eternity wherever the Lord sends me. What do you think of people who come up to you and see you writing it? Uh, do, are you very often caught in the act? Oh, yes, very often caught in the act, and they said, what's this goat doing now? They think oh, you're this, a fanatic, do you? Yes, they say, oh, crazy, this man's a rat. He's writing eternity. Look. And then they ask me the question about eternity, and I tell them, and they say, my word, you're pretty right. We've got to face it. Have you ever been in any trouble with the police because of writing on the footpath? Yes, I've been held up 21 times for defacing the footpath. But it doesn't belong to the police, it belongs to the city council. So they can take your name and report it to the city council. So, anyhow, after a while they got to find out my, my back life, and they said, well, the inspector said, isn't this better to see him doing this 
than you fellas chasing through the lanes and streets in Sydney? Has anybody ever tried um, to copy you, tried to write eternity on the footpath the same as you have done? Yes, there's been many a one. There was one man once, and he stuck at it for about three months, and then he went to the Herald office and told him that he, he was the man that uh, wrote that eternity on the footpath. And he was a ginger-headed man, and of course this fellow said, Oh, the fellow's wife said it's a great little fella. He's only a five-foot-three man. So there was really only a six-foot, so they knew he was only a counterfeit. In tonight's Monitor 64, we brought you the voice of the man who writes eternity on the footpath, Mr. Arthur State. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.